The Big Fight Weekend Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows is brought to you in part by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie is doing everything they can to help DGENs only cash big. Use the promo code SGP for a 50% deposit bonus. That's MyBookie.ag, promo code SGP. We're also brought to you in part by Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a new daily fantasy sports app built specifically for player props. Download the app in the App Store and use the promo code SGP for instant deposit match up to $50. That's thrivefantasy.com, promo code SGP. Sign up and prop up today. We're also brought to you in part by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sportsbook. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com SGP. That's aceperhead.com SGP. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Yes, indeed. Ring the bell. We are underway with the first December edition of our little boxing podcast to correspond with the website. It is Big Fight Weekend. I am merely the somewhat lucid, somewhat capable host, ready for three successive weekends of fantastic championship fight action including Errol Spence's return to the ring, the WBC-IBF welterweight champion, unbeaten. We'll fight Danny Garcia, the former world junior welterweight champion in the main event, Fox pay-per-view, Arlington, Texas, AT&T Stadium. We're here to talk all about that with my guests. Uh, A little bit later on in the podcast, Ryan O'Hara will be here from Ring TV and RingTV.com. And, of course, senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com, Marquise Johns will join me. We'll do a little roundtable to talk about that championship fight coming up. But first, straight ahead here, great new documentary out Friday night, depending on when you're hearing us. Friday night, December the 4th, Macho, the Hector Camacho story, a phenomenal 90-minute film and documentary on Camacho's rise from the amateurs out of Spanish Harlem in New York to worldwide fame as a championship fighter in the lightweight and the junior welterweight and welterweight divisions, etc. And then Camacho, obviously, as one of the most flamboyant fighters, uh, marched on and fought probably too long in his career. Uh, eventually, personal problems, drug use, etc., well-documented, and Camacho eventually murdered eight years ago in Puerto Rico. The new documentary covers all of this, including what's the latest with who killed Macho, who killed Hector Camacho in Puerto Rico. The documentary maker, uh, the uh, the creator of this, uh, of this Showtime documentary is Eric Drath. He is going to be with me straight ahead. Uh, here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, an extended conversation about the making of it, uh, about Camacho's uh, flamboyance, his career, and then now the murder investigation some eight years after Camacho was killed in Puerto Rico. Uh, Eric Drath with me straight ahead here as part of Big Fight Weekend. Reminder before we get to that conversation, however you found us through our friends at sportsgamblingpodcast.com, Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows, uh, whether it's through a social media link that you found us, make sure you subscribe. The podcast comes automatically to you mostly in the preview mode before the fights each weekend as part of Big Fight Weekend. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. You can find Big Fight Weekend. Just 
Just search for it, rate us, and review us, and more people will find us. Again, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of fight fans that have been finding us this fall. Continue to spread the word for Big Fight Weekend and subscribe. So again, the Errol Spence Showdown uh, with Danny Garcia, Danny Swift Garcia, Saturday night. That is the premier boxing champion's Fox pay-per-view. Marquise will have more late in the podcast on the undercard and the rest that's there. There's also a WBO junior or actually super middleweight uh, title fight, 168 pounds. I don't know what that is in stones and grams over in uh, over in the UK. Billy Joe Saunders uh, will be in action against an opponent that he should defeat easily in Martin Murray. That is the Friday night London main event fight for Matchroom Boxing Friday afternoon, U.S. time. We'll talk a little bit about that as the podcast goes on as well. All of the relevant stuff that we have here on Big Fight Weekend on the website, uh, as well as the podcast, we bring it to you, especially in the preview mode like we are here. So we've got lots to get to. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about Hector Camacho and this new documentary film straight ahead. Much more on Spence Garcia and the main event on the Fox uh, pay-per-view, the PBC on Fox pay-per-view Saturday night. All of that upcoming. Let's get rolling. As promised, have been looking forward to this, been trying to line this up, and we made it happen with a new documentary out at the time that we're taping on Friday night, December 4th, Macho, the Hector Camacho story. It is my pleasure to bring in the documentary filmmaker, uh, one of the executive producers of this great documentary that will be out on Showtime and on Showtime On Demand and replays. Eric Drath is with me here as part of of Big Fight Weekend and the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Great to have you. Uh, I have, I should say to the audience, I have had a special opportunity to preview the documentary. I'm kissing up to you right away, my friend. It is a 14 on a scale of 10. It is fantastic. Congratulations on the documentary being out. And uh, welcome in here on the podcast. How are you? Great. Great to be here. And, uh, you know, I'm a fan of you and your podcast, so it's, it's really, it's really <laughs> nice to finally uh, get to meet you. All right, so we're we're ready to get into a bunch of different things, and I've already prepped Eric and said I could talk to you for an hour and a half, but I realize we don't have an hour and a half, so I will get to the important questions that I think exist. Let's begin at the beginning. Hector Camacho, such a fascinating uh, character in boxing, such a successful box uh, boxer. What led you to want to do this documentary about him, Eric? Well, you know, as a fan, a boxing fan, when I was young, uh, I always knew of Hector Camacho, and he was one of my favorites. I mean, he just kind of like jumped out of the TV uh, into your living room or wherever wherever I was watching him. So I was always like amazed by him as a character. And uh, and he was brash, and there was always a little part of you like, you know, he's so brash, you almost want to see him get knocked out, you know. They either loved him or hated him. He's one of those uh, personalities. But what why I wanted to make the documentary was because um, when I was a journalist, I got to meet him. And then when I worked in the boxing industry, I not only met him again and worked with his promoter, Michael Acri, who's one of the greats in the boxing business. People probably don't know his name, but he was also Camacho's promoter and Duran's promoter and just a, a real force behind the scenes. Um, and I got to meet Camacho and then working in the business, I worked with his son, Hector Jr. So when I was filming a no mas down in Panama, uh, a couple months after uh, the murder, I asked Duran, 
you know, well, what do you think about his impact in the sport? And what, what do you think? And he started to break down and cry. And mm. I knew right then that, that, that the impact and it was huge, not just on boxing, but on the Latino uh, community and on, on fans worldwide. And, uh, and what happened was, is, you know, I, I went to Puerto Rico soon after that and, and interviewed Junior uh, at the apartment of his uh, of Hector Camacho. He was still living there. And I knew that I wanted to do the story, but a bunch of things came, you know, started happening, including making, finishing No Mas and a bunch of other films. And about two and a half years ago, I realized that, like, you know, this story hasn't been told. I didn't want his memory to be kind of lost in the history of, of boxing or in the general public. And the fact that his unsolved murder was still there and, and, and unsolved, I knew that I had to try to find answers and closure for the family. So that's really what, you know, got me rolling. And, uh, and, it was a, and it's been great working with Showtime. They, they gave me the latitude to kind of make the film. And uh, that's how it happened. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Uh, so you gave me a lot of meat on the bone there, as I like to say. So I want to I want to pick at it. And we're right off of Thanksgiving. So I got plenty to eat over Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but plenty of meat here on the bone uh, about this. So I totally agree. I would uh, the word I will use is I'm, I'm captivated by your docu- documentary. I was captivated by Camacho as a young teenage fan watching boxing in the 80s. And it is it was a lot like Muhammad Ali in the regard of the flash. Now, Ali wasn't even as flashy and glitzy as, as Camacho became. It, it almost became professional wrestling-esque with Camacho's ring entrances, his outfits. But so much of the dynamic, and this comes out in the documentary, is people tuned in not only because they loved him, but because they hated him and wanted to see him get knocked out. And it, it just made him massively popular for both reasons, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that I've really learned is that any fighter that transcends the sport and goes outside of the you know the active boxing fan into the, the the sports world they need to be equally it seems like they need to be equally hated as much as loved i mean you look at mayweather tyson ali at one point even leonard leonard you know was so good that you know the latinos wanted to get him knocked out so you know and of course you know you know the sport plays on ethnicities and and ethnic rivalries um, like no other sport does. Um, so, so there is that tension. And if you get that tension right, uh, that's what equals real success out there. But the thing about Camacho and almost like a wrestling type of persona is that where a lot of fighters wear a costume into the ring, Camacho really believed he was authentic, he was authentic about it. The costumes he wore inside the ring, he was just as comfortable walking outside of the ring in. Um, I got a little <laughs> funny story that didn't, that didn't uh, make the, the film, I'll tell you. I was talking to Amy, his wife, and she was making jokes. She's like, he used to wear you know, more fishnet than I did. And I'd be like, I'm not going out with you like that. <laughs> and, uh, and then one time they were in a, in a, um, a shoe store. And um, there were these really flashy shoes. And he said, oh, Amy, I really like those. And the store clerk overheard him and said, oh, those are for women. And he said, oh, okay. And they walked out of the store. He gave Amy $200. He said, go get me that pair of, that pair of shoes in size 10. 
So, <laughs> you know, he, he was really, really out there. And he loved it. He was a showman, but he had the talent to back it up. Voice of Eric Drath with me. Uh, just a tremendous job on this documentary. Two-time Emmy Award winner, by the way, Eric Drath. And the new documentary out on Showtime is Macho, the Hector Camacho story. To your point, again, I'm going to do my best not to reveal uh, a whole bunch in the documentary because I want them to watch the film and watch what happens. Uh, but in the film, they'll see Camacho go back into Spanish Harlem with one of those get-ups on. I call them get-ups. Uh, with the gold and the sequins. And, and they just need to see how much he was beloved walking the streets of Spanish Harlem to Eric's point about how he walked around in his daily life with that uh, with that persona. Okay, again, some more stuff about the making of the documentary uh, you really latched on to his mother, Maria, and, and really it is as much about his boxing story and about his life as it is the unsolved uh, murder of Hector Camacho in 2012. You're telling the story almost from the beginning about the unsolved murder, and then you circle back to it at the end. Uh, how did you find uh, his mother and in dealing with his mother? It almost it almost it had to be like you became a confidant and then you almost became an advocate for her to help her in trying to solve his murder. Is that is that fair and accurate, Eric, to, to say that about you and about your quest? A hundred percent. I mean, um, you know, if you go back to all my films, um, you know, I'm driven more by humanity than by the the flash and the, you know, the drama. Um, it's the human stories that I care about. And, you know, to see a mother, um, you know, seeking closure, you know, no parent, you know, should have to lose their child, you know, before they, you know, before their, their life ends and even more. So no, no parent should, should have this, a, a child murdered and no closure and no ability to kind of say like, this is what happened and this is who did it. So, her need to, for closure uh, definitely was impetus for me to go down, put myself in harm's way, and uh, try to track, crack the case. And we did get new information, and, uh, and we're pretty sure we uh, know who did it. It's interesting, and again, I want them to watch the documentary, that that really is the last portion of the documentary and again, without revealing too much, she seemed like towards the end of the documentary, she believes she has closure. Yet as we sit here and tape this, no one has been charged in Camacho's murder. Do you believe it is one of those where the Puerto Rican authorities, like, first of all, you reveal this and, and people can look this up. The FBI, the, the U.S. FBI that's down in Puerto Rico basically says that 75 percent of violent crimes, much less murders, go unsolved in Puerto Rico. Think about that again, Big Fight Weekend audience here on the podcast. Three out of every four violent crimes in Puerto Rico go unsolved. And this includes a high-profile case now like this with Hector Camacho that is eight years and counting unsolved. I believe sitting back, again, I love to play armchair, amateur, lawyer, detective. This is one of those where they know who did it? They believe they know who did it, but being able to prove it in a court of law seems to be the biggest challenge right now. Is that is that fair? It is fair to say. Um, there's a lot. There's a couple of theories, but we're pretty sure um, there's there's two parts of it. You know, the hitmen that that actually executed both of uh, Hector and the other guy in the car. Um, those two. 
um, guys, we're pretty sure we know who did it. Uh, one of them was actually not long ago killed himself in a Denny's, um, you know, uh, to drive through at a Denny's. Um, but, but also the why, the why it was done is something that has, you know, been a mystery. And we think we have a pretty good idea of why. And so it's an ongoing investigation. So we, I really don't want to um, get too far mm-hmm. into it. And there's a chance we might um, actually go down and, 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 and do a little bit more uh, just to, to show viewers what's going on. So um, it was dangerous. Uh, it's, it's even more dangerous now. It's, uh, you know, uh, Puerto Rico has had all kinds of natural disasters with Maria, um, government corruption and the overthrow of the government. There is a sense of lawlessness down there and, and, and just chaos uh, that, that really doesn't exist anywhere in, in the States. It's more like a third world uh, uh, country in certain parts right now. Um, so it's not easy to, to get that information. People are terrified uh, of speaking to the authorities, terrified. The authorities say, oh, well, we'll, we'll protect you. But, but how do they protect them? It, 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 there's no like huge witness protection program. It is dangerous. So, you know, the, and, and you brought up a great point. You know, if, if, if the, the police can't solve, you know, uh, two thirds of the murders out there, then how are they ever going to solve? And, and they, if they can't solve the, the, the hero of their streets, the murder of the hero of the streets, then how can they solve all those other murders? Mm. Eric Drath with us uh, again, Macho. Uh, the Hector Camacho story is out, d- depending on when you're hearing us. It premieres Friday night, December 4th on Showtime. Replays, obviously, available on all the Showtime networks and on Showtime On Demand. And and Eric is gracious to give us some time talking about making the film about the life, the boxing career, and then ultimately the murder that is still unsolved at this point of Hector Camacho eight years ago now, uh, right around Thanksgiving of 2012, eight years and counting uh, okay, I love fun ones about this. Uh, how long did this take from beginning to finally final cut, final production and airing? Was it a year? I mean, people don't realize, I don't think, this is not something that gets done in a couple of months or maybe even in six months. Give us an idea of when you started and how long it took to get to completion for the finished product we're seeing. Okay, so from the actual, if you're going to, uh, mark the time from when we got the green light to go ahead and, and make it. Uh, it was uh, right before the holidays in 2018. So basically two years almost to the day, um, you know, give or take a week or two. So about two years to actually make the film. And, and that's actually a little longer than I thought, because when I originally made, I made another version of the film, which was much more about the investigation. The problem was, was that while it's compelling and while I think people would have loved it to see, you know, how dangerous it is, what's going on. Um, the problem was I got too far away from the life of Camacho and it was hard to go from searching for, you know, one TV character to the next uh, in the slums of, of Puerto Rico to Mancini in the ring with Camacho, you know, in the 1980s. So what I did was, I uh, made the decision about six, seven months ago to kind of like redo it a little bit, not a little bit, wholesale redo it and make it more about his life and include his death when his death comes chronologically 
in the story uh, and include um, the explanation of his murder, but not have the whole murder investigation throughout the film. So it was a little more difficult than other films I had made where they kind of told themselves. Um, but, and, and I don't think if I had not done the other films, I'd have the experience to know uh, to kind of do this. So, you know, I'm glad I did. I think it's the better film now, uh, but there's a lot of information out there that we'd love to present to the, to a wider audience. Love that. And again, let the audience judge for themselves about all of this. Uh, again, I'm championing this because it is a fantastic storytelling of his career. I mean, I learned all kinds of things. I remember as a kid watching that fight in Alaska where Hector Camacho went and fought on CBS nationwide. And remember, this is a time period when cable TV was basically brand new in a lot of places. Everybody was beholden still to the big, powerful uh, television network, CBS, ABC, NBC in this country. CBS went to Alaska for a Hector Camacho fight. I remember watching that. And again, I will tease, they need to watch the documentary where the great boxing commentator Tim Ryan is telling you stories about being in Alaska uh, with Camacho and what happens right around the fight. How am I doing on my tees, Eric? Am I doing good on my tees? They need to watch it for oh, the yeah. story about the Alaska yeah. fight, and we won't reveal more. They need to watch the documentary. But it's wild that Camacho from Spanish Harlem in New York was headlining in Alaska on nationwide network TV. That actually happened. Yeah, I mean, it is crazy. And I, I can't believe you saw it because, like, you know, I don't think I caught it. And when I started going through in the archival process and looking at his fights and I saw it, I was like kind of floored. I was like, wow, you know, only in boxing is like, you know, <laughs> promoters come up with these ideas. Let, let's put it on the, the deck of a, you know, aircraft carrier. Let's let's go to some island in, you know, somewhere right. remote island. And And so when I saw that fight, I was like, wow, that was genius. Yeah, and, and I got one more to add to that in the 80s. Remember the NBC uh, Sports World World Boxing had Marv Albert, the fight Dr. Ferdy Pacheco. They went inside, and you're in the New York, New Jersey area. They went inside the New Jersey prison for boxing a couple of times, and I believe he was a middleweight or a light heavyweight. James Scott was the guy's name. I still remember that. Where they're having a fight card with the inmates as the audience and the, and the corrections oh. officers walking around with weapons while James Scott is fighting live on network TV from a prison, to your point about they would fight uh, anywhere uh, a lot of the time to try to sell it. So uh, to bring this back uh, to this story and to about uh, Camacho, uh, again, for the fan that is interested but maybe not so sure if they want to watch it, tell me again why they are going to be compelled like I was. I mean, I was already on the hook here as a boxing fan, as a Camacho fan, but what should intrigue them? What does intrigue you about this that people need to watch Macho the Hector Camacho story, Eric? Well, you know, again, humanity. I think we're all interested in, in human lives, human stories, relatable stories. And the reason why I think Macho was such a character and so loved was because, you know, he wasn't perfect. You know, warts and all, he was, he was you know, in the public eye. And, you know, there were things that he did that were horrible. You know, he committed some crimes that 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 really were wrong. And 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 he and he reached some heights that were unbelievable that that seldom do in, in 
in, in this world. So there's the highs and the lows, but there's also that story of humanity. And I think that people will, you know, be taken on a journey. And I hope that people will be taken on a journey and they'll be able to ride his, his roller coaster and, and also understand some, some new information about, you know, uh, what's going on down in Puerto Rico. Mm-mm. And some great storytelling from his friends, including one talking about an unplanned trip to the Mexican border. And I won't ruin right. it, but it involves drugs. It involves uh, chaos at the Mexican border, and and it's wild. So again, that is part of the documentary, another tease to have. And we have Eric here for a few more moments uh, on the podcast. All right, I always love this. I, I've had the privilege, I'm not trying to make this about me, but I've had the privilege throughout my career to do a bunch of in-person interviews with a lot of big-time people. I, I work in the National Football League for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I've done a lot of national uh, coverage uh, on sports radio of different things, big events. And it is never lost on me of sitting across from somebody that is legendary. You had the opportunity in this uh, filmmaking over the last couple of years to sit across from Sugar Ray Leonard and talk to him about Hector Camacho, to sit across from the Mexican legend Julio Cesar Chavez, who fought Camacho as well. They both fought Camacho. What was it like for you to sit across from these legends and talk about Camacho and the story, Eric? I wonder. A lot easier to talk to them about Camacho than to just sit across from them because you're right. I mean, these are legends. <laughs> these are icons. And, and had I not had like a good icebreaker, I probably would have been frozen. But no, I've, I also worked in the news business a long time and, and have uh, had some experience talking to these types of people. And I just kind of stay on point and don't think about who they are as much as about why I'm there and what we're talking about. But I must say one thing about uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. He's one of the greatest guys that I know. And I don't say that lightly. He is a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, I got to really know him when I made No Mas and mm-hmm. spent some time with him. And he really, he's an open book. You know, he, he's, he's not afraid to be who he is and say what he thinks and be his true self. And, you know, again, going back to Camacho, he also was authentic. And I think that's what that's what resonates with people. People want to see the real you. You know, we a lot of people walk around with these these images of who they ought, want to be or who they ought to be. But who are they? And when 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 people are really who they are, you know, it comes through and 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 it's and it's very attractive. No doubt about that. A few minutes left. Eric Draft, the theme, the filmmaker of uh, Macho, the Hector Camacho story, the documentary maker. Uh, he and his team, as he just uh, said to us on this interview, spent over two years getting this from beginning to finish product. Showtime will debut it again on Showtime's premium network on Friday night, December 4th. No matter when you're hearing this interview, catch it on a replay, catch it on Showtime on demand, et cetera, et cetera. All right, you whetted my appetite, so I got to stop here for just one second. The 40th anniversary of No Mas was last week, Leonard Duran 2. All right, I I've told this story uh, more than once on this podcast, uh, and even in the recountings that we, we write about historical stuff on BigFightWeekend.com. I was a huge Sugar Ray Leonard fan as a little guy. I was crushed, crushed when Duran beat him uh, in Montreal for his first professional loss. They fought again, what, five months later. You made the uh, Emmy Award-winning documentary about this. Uh, again, I encourage people to go find that 30 for 30, the no mas where you went with Sugar Ray down to... 
uh, Panama and and, and uh, he confronted Duran and tried to get Duran to talk about and admit what what was behind giving up with the uh, with the Nomas. All right, what's your what's your theory having made the film on uh, on why Duran forty years ago said I don't want any more of Sugar Ray in the rematch? I, I think he he thought that he could get a, a third fight and he quit. Period. I think he thought he could get a third. Yeah, I thought he. I think he thought he could get a third fight. He was not having a great night. He was out of shape. He, yep. had, you know, not trained like he should have. Uh, and he was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna quit and stop this, and I'll get a third fight with even more money. And to, to follow up on that, I believe he was such and is such in his life and in the ring. Uh, a, a an instigator, uh, a brawler, a fighter. I want to fight you. I want to stand in front of you and you stand in front of me. That when Leonard figured out, I don't have to do that in the rematch. I can box you. I can taunt you. I can psychologically defeat you. I, I think that that's where, yeah, the no mas comes in. I don't want any more of this. You're embarrassing me. And so that's always just been my theory from a distance. And it's amazing. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Hundred percent. He, hundred percent. You know, he felt embarrassed. He was knew he was losing, and he quit. And you know, that's not okay right. in boxing, and that's not okay in the Latino world, even more so. So he let down the world that night. You know, and uh, and you know, and he made up for it. He went back and had a, a very good career after that, a, a respectable career. But it, it changed things, and 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 it's too bad because it was a self-inflicted wound. No doubt, um, like most like most of the worst ones are. Um, but you know, talking about styles, you know, there really was a demarcation in Camacho's career after the Rosario fight, where he got defensive and he fought more, uh, you know, around the ring as a dancer, and people stopped liking him as much his fans somewhat abandoned him because in boxing as you know you know we want to see guys fight we want to see guys slug it out we want a toro gaddy we want um you know chavez we want guys that are not going to back down not going to dance nobody likes you know mayweather style you know it's like uh but so he definitely lost some of his 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 hardcore boxing fans but he had one of preservation you know, talk about preservation. He had over 80 fights, you know, so, you know, people can say what they want with, with a defensive fighter, but ultimately, you know, he had somewhat of uh, a, such a remarkable career. He absolutely did. And obviously the last fight Sugar Ray Leonard ever had coming out of retirement, and you, you detail this in the documentary, was against Hector Camacho. Um, yeah. It's interesting that on this podcast, we had Joe Cortez, the referee, with us about a month ago, six weeks ago. He worked that fight. Mm-hmm. And I even asked Joe, I said, uh, you know, I know you try not to get starstruck, et cetera, et cetera, but you're in there with Sugar Ray Leonard. And he said, that's the only time I worked a Ray Leonard fight, actually, was his final fight. And uh, he said Leonard whispered to him, thank you, because Leonard thought he was going to get seriously injured when Joe stopped it after the last knockdown. He said, that's what I remember uh, 25 plus years later was was Leonard thanking me uh, that he had stopped the fight. So that's that's Leonard's last fight. Camacho fought well on into the 1990s. Uh, into the late 1990s, and you see into the 2000s, yeah, and into the 2000s, 2000s. even uh, with his with his career, and you'll see all of that uh, in the documentary. 
Um, and and love this uh, love this conversation with Eric Draft. I have you for another moment or two. Can I tell you one quick story? It's amazing how it ties into the the time frame that I'm interviewing you. The time frame, unfortunately, that Hector was killed. I actually had sure. a brush with him in the Tampa airport. He began to live some. I did not know this until much later. He was here some with Amy, his his wife, in Tampa. Eventually got in trouble in Tampa just before his death. But this is 2009. This is the Friday after Thanksgiving. I will remember it forever. I'm on a flight to Atlantic City because I'm going to work a college basketball game that night in Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City involving the Florida Gators on the radio. Who's standing next to me to get on the plane in line but Hector Camacho? And I was struck by two or three things. The first thing, I'd never met him. He has no idea who I am. The first thing I'm struck by, I'm tall, Eric. I'm six foot four. Hector comes up to about my navel, a little bigger than my navel, probably about my nipple, my armpit. Not a big guy. That's the first thing I'm struck by. The second thing is he had the macho gold chain still around the neck. Not the big ones that we see in your documentary, but he had a little macho gold chain. And then the third thing, he could not have been more accommodating. To people around him, He was it was early in the morning. He was signing an autograph here, a picture there. Again, I only spoke with him briefly. I said, Macho, what are you going to Atlantic City for? I even called him Macho. And he said, got an autograph show, got an autograph signing. That's what he was headed there for uh, that weekend. And it, it, that brush with him that morning on the Friday after Thanksgiving is the time that I was around him. And now to know that he lost his life about three years later around the same time. Your film is coming out around the same time. I'm just reminiscing about all of this. And it, and it made me want to watch your documentary even more. I just wanted to share that with you on the interview. That's the one brush I had with Camacho, completely random at a Tampa airport, standing there with me. Uh, and it looked a lot like the, the the footage you were showing of him later in his life, later in his career, overweight. They they show in the documentary where he went on the Mexican version of Dancing with the Stars. And, and, and what was it, the director of the show, or at least the choreographer said he was so out of shape. That's the Camacho I was around. But my point to you is he was still engaging with his fans and engaging for autographs, pictures, and that kind of stuff in my one brief brush with him. Yeah, and if he was alive today, he'd still be a, a, a you know a name celebrity that you know people followed and made made you know waves. He was that kind of person, you know, and and you know explaining that he was accommodating is is exactly the way I knew him. You know, he was just a really likable guy, and uh, and you know, and he's and he's and he's sorely missed, and and that was one of the reasons that I thought it was so important to tell this story. I didn't want his life to be kind of lost in uh, just another name with an asterisk. Yep, and the time starts to go by and starts to fade. Keep his name out there. His family still wants closure on this, and I get the feeling Eric's like a bulldog. He's not going to let this die on uh, on whether or not we get resolution and closure from the authorities in Puerto Rico on Hector Camacho's murder, his awful, tragic murder uh, that was eight years ago now. Again, Macho, the Hector Camacho story debuts Friday night at the time that we're taping, December 4th on Showtime. Replays on the weekend, on Showtime, on demand, find it. Eric, what a treat. You were gracious with your time. I know you're busy doing many of these interviews. Uh, Again, I said this off the air. I'm saying this on the air to you. I was a big fan of Assault in the Ring with the whole uh, Billy Collins, uh, Louis Resto controversy and the padding out of the gloves, and it ruined Billy Collins forever and led to his death. 
Phenomenal job with that. I love the No Moss documentary. You're three for three, my friend. However, I can help you in the future to help you promote. Thank you for being with me here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast to talk all about it. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. We're brought to you by MyBookie.ag. Hopefully, you feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet of up to $250, a free shot, basically, to try to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, sorry, it has passed. However, there's always football to be played, whether it's college or the NFL this weekend. And whether you're a first-time customer or you've been playing with MyBookie for years, there's no shortage of value on the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, contests, everything they offer every week make the right play and sign up with my bookie and when you do use the promo code sgp and you get half your deposit matched all the way up to a thousand bucks you put a hundred in they'll match 50 you put 200 in they'll match 100 go all the way up to a thousand dollars they'll match 500 dollars into your account and that's got you in the running to make all the big plays on the college and football a college and NFL football weekend. It's winning season at MyBookie. Join in on the fun. Again, if you're a first-time user, use that promo code SGP for the 50% match. It all comes with MyBookie.ag and the promo code SGP. And we're also brought to you in part by Thrive Fantasy, the daily fantasy sports app for player props. And just in time for the holidays, as part of the Sports Gambling Podcast network of shows, We're teaming up with Thrive Fantasy for an awesome SGP merchandise bundle. Send in a screenshot of you joining Thrive Fantasy's promo code SGP and signing up for Thrive Fantasy, and you've got a chance to win $100 in Sports Gambling Podcast merchandise. So email your screenshot of you joining Thrive Fantasy using our promo code SGP. Send it to podcast at sportsgamblingpodcast.com with the screenshot, and you've got a chance to win 100 bucks for the holidays in SGP merchandise. All right, so with Thrive, you eliminate the countless hours of all the research every which direction on Daily Fantasy. And instead, in the NFL, choose 10 of the 20 available player props, build your lineup, and get into the contest to play. Now, a couple of the players that I like this week, you're going to hear me talking more about the Houston Texans as a home underdog. Here's why. I love Deshaun Watson and the way that he's playing and the Thrive Fantasy player prop for this week is Deshaun under over on a touchdown and a half against the Colts, who have a good defense. I'm taking that over all the way in the early game in Houston uh, for Watson and the Houston Texans and that player prop. Another player prop that I like, Kyler Murray coming back home off the tough loss to the New England Patriots. I don't think his shoulder's completely healthy. The under-over prop is 290 uh, combined yards passing and rushing for him. The Rams' defense has been really good. I know the 49ers beat them a week ago. But give me the Rams to hold Kyler Murray under 290 yards. The prop is 290 and a half. I'll go under that prop on his combined yards from scrimmage, passing and running the football for that player prop. And one more, I really like the Atlanta Falcons this weekend against the Saints. Todd Gurley under over on a rushing touchdown. It's 0.5. I think he'll score a rushing touchdown against that good Saints defense. I like the Falcons. I like Gurley. Give me that player prop as well. This is all you have to do. Go fly. Go find those favorite player props 
Sign up, find 10 of them, hit them, rack up on your prize money. Thrive has given out over $100,000 the last couple of weeks in guaranteed prizes, and they're continuing to give it out uh, right now if you get these successful props and enter their contest. They've paid out over $250,000 in cash prizes so far this season. Uh, with Thrive Fantasy. So again, sign up with Thrive Fantasy. Use our promo code SGP. And if you're a first-time depositor, you get a match up to 50 bucks when you put in. Get an instant match up to $50 on your initial deposit. So again, go get Thrive Fantasy in the Apple Store, in the Google Play Store. Download it. Find out more of the rules and regulations at thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Use our promo code SGP. And if you've ever thought of owning your own sportsbook but you didn't know how, Ace Per Head is here to help you start it up. They'll provide you with an all-inclusive professional betting site with all the lines updated up to the second and wagers graded immediately. They've got top-notch customer service going 24-7, some of the sharpest lines in the industry, and plus... Ace Per Head also has live betting and a great mobile experience. You can get started today. Ace is offering six weeks free, by the way. Go to aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP to find out more. We're back on Big Fight Weekend now. Here's your host, TJ Reeves. And as we do roll on, time to welcome in a little roundtable panel for me here on Big Fight Weekend, the podcast, the senior writer for BigFightWeekend.com. Love me some Week Sauce Radio. That is his Twitter handle, at Week Sauce Radio. He is Marquise Johns, back on the podcast, ready to mix it up with this Spence Garcia Fox pay-per-view coming Saturday night and all other subjects. Week Sauce, how you feeling? Pretty good, TJ. It's Martin Murray Fight Week. If that doesn't get you fed up for boxing, I don't know what will or everything else will. Here we are, though. The sarcasm is there for that fight card in England on Friday afternoon. Also with us from ringtv.com, ringtv's coverage. We love the insight, uh, the humor, the cooking ability, even though he doesn't cook for us, and it's a podcast after all. Ryan O'Hara is back on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. How are you? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Speaking of uh, food, did you get enough to eat? All good? Oh, yeah. I, I spent some time at um, my girlfriend's grandmother's house, if that sounded correct. So we, we had a great time, and I had some great food. So it was a fun time. It was a what fun did experience. grandma make that you just loved? Make us uh, make us uh, jealous. What about it? Turkey, uh, turkey and cranberries. That's kind, of, that's kind of the way to my heart, basically. <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> Straight path. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, all I know is I left town on uh, on Friday after Thanksgiving because I was working college football last Saturday for Alabama and Auburn on national radio. I was informed that as of Friday at about 6 p.m. that all the leftovers had been destroyed in my house, gone, consumed, uh, <laughs> inhaled. So there was nothing left. So I'm glad that we all got enough to eat. Um, enough about the food. Hey, we just came off of the interview with Eric Drath, the filmmaker of the Hector Camacho documentary, Macho, the, the Hector Camacho story that will be out on Showtime. There's a lot of Build up for that. Uh, again, I've seen the documentary at the time that we are taping this. It is fantastic. Uh, guys, I, I don't know how big a Camacho fans you were, how interested you were in him back in the day, the 80s, the 90s. As Eric mentioned, he fought all the way into the late 90s and the early 2000s, as it turns out. 
Uh, but I, I'll ask both of you. Uh, Ryan, you're our guest first. How, how intrigued are you by the Camacho documentary? How intrigued were you uh, 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 for Camacho, the fighter, the, the Hall of Fame fighter, the flamboyant one? What about the late Macho Camacho for you? You know, I'm very intrigued to check, check out the movie. I haven't really had a chance. I don't, I don't even know when it's uh, being released, to be honest with you. But um, I can't say that I was a fan of his. You know, I, I didn't really follow him um, too closely uh, when I was growing up. But, you know, but I respected him, and I thought that he brought a lot of excitement to the sport. And, you know, that, that, that type of uh, that personality is kind of lacking in, in the sport uh, right now. With, with, with boxing talent with it. Now we have, a, we have fighters that, you know, have the personality of Camacho, but not so much the boxing ability. And I, I think that, you know, Camacho's character was rare and I'm very much looking forward to check, checking out the documentary. Uh, but then again, I hardly have time to watch TV. As it is. So I'll have fun. <laughs> You can stream it, and again, it's gonna it's gonna debut Friday night at the time that we're taping. Uh, Friday night, December fourth, it's gonna be on on replays, but it's also available on Showtime's on demand and their app and that kind of stuff. If you have that subscription service, Marquis, same question to you. And I realize I'm older than both of you guys. And Camacho, again, in my formative boxing fan years as a as a youngster, as a teenager, uh, as a uh, as a college student, for example, that was his heyday in the '80s and the late. 80s, etc. So I realize I'm old. I'm older than you guys to appreciate <laughs> this. But still, when you go back and watch all the old time stuff and, and see what an instigator he was and, and what a flamboyant guy with all the outfits that he wore to the ring uh, when it was macho time. What about it for you, Marquise? That's what I remember my and TJ, especially in the 90s, like when he was facing the loss against Trinidad, like it was macho time where he wore the, the flamboyant outfits and the Indian garb, all, all, the, all that crazy stuff. And it was a fun run with him, actually. It's one thing that boxing is missing, as Ryan mentioned, where there's not enough personalities like that or like like a Prince Nassim Ahmed, you know, doing crazy things into the ring, like walk, stuff like that <laughs> as a whole. And the one thing with Camacho is like Camacho backed it up. Granted, you can, you can always question his line of opposition as he was facing, if you even look at his record, like facing guys on, the, on their way out. I mean, he fought Duran in 97, guys. I mean, stuff like that you can always question. But it's it's great to see people like that. And I'm looking forward to the Showtime documentary because I Showtime puts out good stuff. So I'm always looking forward to that. Yeah, no doubt. And, and Camacho, obviously... Uh, rose to superstardom, and then all of the problems, all of the flaws, and I'll, I'll mention this again here with you guys, that the documentary really takes a turn into his unsolved murder. I mean, tragically, he was shot and killed eight years ago now. No one has been charged, much less convicted as of yet, of what happened to him in Puerto Rico. So it's all part of the documentary that's coming up. And one, and one more point, and I love this, what, what you guys are saying, we love kind of the villain aspect. And some of that is missing in boxing, the flamboyant villain, because as, as, as much as you may have fans that root for whoever that fighter is, if they're a villain, there may be twice as many, Ryan and Marquise, that are tuning in to watch them get their block knocked off. And that's that was the case with Camacho. I think probably 50% of the audience wanted to see him get clobbered uh, as the fights were on for all the... All the flamboyance. I think it's an, an important part. I, Ryan, just to follow up on that part, that uh, that that's what helps sells the sizzle that sells pay per views and big time fights. Is you got to have some some kind of animosity and some kind of villain to help sell it, right? Absolutely. I think that it, you you can look back at any sport. So you have, uh, I would go back to NASCAR with Dale Earnhardt or Kurt Busch. 
you know, one guy's called the Intimidator. The other guy was called the Outlaw. And, you know, when, when the Outlaw, when the bad guy is successful, you know, that brings attention to the sport. Now, with Adrian Broner, for instance, he succeeded for a while as the bad guy until the Marcos Maidana fight, and it's kind of been a downhill slide ever since. But when you have the, someone like Camacho, you know, succeeding in, in that role, you know, it brings excitement to the sport. After he knocked out Sugar Ray Leonard, I'm sure uh, a lot of diehard Sugar Ray fans wanted to, wanted to see him get, get destroyed, and that brought more attention. Kind of like, um, you know, when Floyd Mayweather was, was moving his way to the ranks, especially uh, prior to the Oscar De La Hoya fight uh, with, uh, you know, him ste- stealing uh, his gym gear. That really, you know, <laughs> promoted Mayweather into, the, into, into that uh, status as the villain, even though he had been uh, at some point. Yeah, you need, the, you need the villain component, do you not, uh, as part of this. And uh, there's no doubt that uh, Camacho, and again, as I mentioned with Eric Draft, I mean, Sugar Ray Leonard is in the documentary talking about their fight. He got Chavez, Julio Cesar Chavez, to sit down and talk about Chavez pummeling Camacho in the early 90s uh, with the whole Puerto Rico-Mexican rivalry aspect. It's just great stuff. Uh, all right, I, I promise now we move on. And let's move on to the one fight that I think that we're all the most interested in. Errol Spence back in the ring for the first time since September of 2019. Horrific car accident just a couple of weeks after that great win over Sean Porter in Los Angeles to unify the WBC and IBF 147-pound titles. The question on everybody's mind is what kind of condition is Errol Spence in psychologically, physically, after such a horrible car wreck? and now virtually a 15-month layoff. Ryan, what's your best guess on what we're going to see out of the undefeated, unified welterweight champion here? I think we're going to see a very impressive performance from Errol Spence Jr. It's incredible that, you know, after crashing, I mean, let alone crashing even a smaller car, you know, that that would be an issue. Keith Thurman, you know, for instance, got in a car wreck, um, you know, before the Sean Porter fight, and that delayed the fight. And I, I don't know, you know, what he suffered from in that accident, but he hasn't really looked the same since, um, you know, a, a, after that crash and, and the Danny Garcia fight and the elbow injuries. I mean, Errol crashed a, a freaking Ferrari. <laughs> I mean, that, that's insane um, for him to be in, in the physical condition that he's in. Uh, he's certainly a, a blessed individual. Seeing him in, in the gym, and it, it, it's crazy that, he, that he's in the condition. Um, that we're seeing him in. I'm excited to see the fight. I, I think that, you know, prior to the accident, this really wouldn't have been um, a big fight. But I think the reason why this fight's getting a lot of attention is because, you know, Danny Garcia is a strong welterweight. He's a strong, he's a strong puncher. But there's a lot of people wondering, you know, what's Arrow going to, what condition is Arrow going to be in, you know, once he starts to take punches? I think Errol's actually going to control the fight. And I, I see Errol stopping Danny Garcia in the seventh round. That's ooh, my prediction. Ooh, he's already mm. putting that out there immediately here. That's the voice of Ryan O'Hara, O'Hara Sports on social media, Ring TV, ringtv.com. Uh, boxing writer, love his insight. All right, Marquise, follow up on the same question. I mean, to Ryan's point, when we saw the video of that car catapulting down the median at a high rate of speed, it's amazing that Errol Spence, this is not over-exaggeration, that he didn't lose his life that October night in Dallas and that he escaped serious injury and he is able to be back. 
What what do you think we're going to see a uh, long late Saturday night in in uh, Arlington, Texas out of Errol Spence uh, now making the full comeback and getting back in the ring? What do you think, Marquise? Absolutely, TJ. No, with Errol Spence in that one car accident, I think when you talked about it on the podcast when it happened, I told you it, it looked like a scene from the Transporter movies where the car was flipping over. And yeah. it, it's unreal. It's unbelievable how he's still around with that, honestly. But in terms of in the ring, I think with the layoff, it helped out Spence because obviously this was supposed to happen back in January, which didn't happen. Danny Garcia ended up happening to take on Ivan Redcash at Barclays instead. So what we got instead with Spence, which is more time off to recover and, re- and, feel, and, and pretty much get back to normal. And by all accounts leading up to this, they, they said it at nauseum that Spence looks great. He's been back to normal in the gym. They, they've asked him over and over again, hey, how do you look? He looks great. He moves fine. So everything with that is fine. I don't think Spence stops Garcia like Ryan mentioned in the seventh round. I think this goes the distance only because I think Garcia is crafty enough to not get caught or – let Garcia, let not Garcia, but let Spence control the fight the same way he pretty much controlled Gar- the Mikey Garcia fight last go round back in Dallas. I just think Garcia is, is crafty to get in, get stuck in the ring, but I think it's one of those decision wins, TJ, like an eight four, like nine three kind of thing where, where Spence wins and retains. Interesting. Garcia has got a pretty good punch, a pretty good right hand. Do either one of you believe that he will stomp on the gas early on here and test Spence immediately, like in the first round, or try to with a big punch? Uh, Ryan, what do you think? Um, I can see Garcia pressuring Spence early, but not in the sense of him knocking him out because Danny's never been that guy. And, you know, Danny is a very good counterpuncher. He has a very good left hook. And I feel like if Garcia just goes out guns a blazing trying to knock out Spence, he, he might get himself knocked out early if he tries that because Danny's not that type of fighter. He's very composed. So, you know, you have to... The, the way that Danny has, has trained throughout his throughout his career is about being composed. So if, if, if anything, I think Danny's going to, you know, try to cut off the ring and go after the body, you know, because that's I mean, especially after that that accident, we haven't seen Arrow get get attacked to the body yet. What what's going to happen? You know, what's going is anything uh, going to change psychologically with Spence once he gets hit? And that's something that uh, we're going to look forward to on Saturday night. Hey, Marquise, the, the big success for Garcia was a junior welterweight and below. He's now moved up to 147. As Ryan made mention, uh, Keith Thurman beat him. Sean Porter also beat him. Is there an argument here that if Garcia is in with an elite fighter that he doesn't have the punch uh, to, maybe, to maybe knock out welterweights at the elite level like he could as a 140-pounder? As a Do you buy that at all, buy that criticism and that wait-and-see? I buy that, and this is a fair criticism, considering the last knockout that Garcia had was against Adrian Granados, and it kind of happened the same way like most of Garcia's fights happened, where he counted him to death, and that's when he got, and Granados got caught. He, the big issue in the knock on it was when Garcia couldn't knock out Ivan Redcash last go-around, and everyone saw that for 12 rounds. It kind of was like, all right, well, what's going on here? Like, why is this guy still hanging out with this guy? And, then that, and that fight was pretty much, uh, I want to say it was a... a one twenty one away decision, like on like two of the free cards as well in Showtime. So it, it, it's the knock on Garcia with that, and I think Garcia is trying to make up, pull off the upset with this fight against Spence, guys, because in the event that he loses this fight against Spence, he's already lost to Furman, as you mentioned before, in Porter. He becomes uh, unofficially, officially the, the gatekeeper guy at one forty seven, and no one wants that label. <laughs> so I can see why Garcia would want to st- make make want to make a statement on Saturday night. 
All right, a couple moments left here kicking this around. Ryan O'Hara, gracious to be with us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. So if Spence wins and wins impressively, and Ryan's already predicted knockout victory, Marquise is thinking it's going to go longer. Uh, Ryan, wave the magic wand. Let's see. Let's say he is as successful as you believe he will be. He's healthy. He can fight again. Let's say March, April, May of, of 2021, with all things being equal, who do you want him in there with? If we project ahead, if Spence is as successful as you think he will be, um, Terrence Crawford. I think that's. I mean, I think that's the obvious answer for everybody. Uh, is it likely? Probably not, because both these guys want Manny Pacquiao, um, not only for the money but also the legacy. However, I don't see Manny fighting these guys at, at his age. I mean, he's gonna. Well, he's gonna be like 42, 43, and just 42 or 43 in just uh, just over a week. December seventeenth, I think is his Correct. birthday. Correct. Correct. So, you know, I think these guys—they they just need to fight each other. Um, you know, the, the, it, not only would it be, you know, for the unified championship, the ring title would be on the line because Errol is the, is uh, ranked number one, Crawford is ranked number two. So, from a legacy standpoint, I think that, you know, the the Spence Crawford fight has to happen. And is it likely? No, because Crawford's still a top rank. Um, you know his contract. His contract doesn't end. I don't think until ne- next October, unless Crawford, you know, uh, has enough money saved to pay off his contract. I don't see that fight happening for a while, which is really unfortunate. But that's what all the fans want to see is is the Spence Crawford fight. I certainly want to see it, but uh, I um, from a real from a from a reality standpoint. I'm not sure who he's going to face next maybe, year. Probably- maybe a Porter rematch, uh, because again, Porter won uh, earlier this year during the resumption after the pandemic. That would may not as intriguing as Crawford or Pacquiao, we understand that, but that would maybe be a logical place to go next, would be a Porter rematch if you can't have one of those other fights. You buy that, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a possibility. Or, you know, Crawford could bury, could bury the hatchet and actually fight Porter. I know that um, the explanation for why they didn't want to fight earlier is because they're friends. But, you know, we, we've seen friends fight <laughs> each other before. Uh, for instance, Abner Mares and uh, Ponce de Leon, really close friends. And then mm-hmm. um, I think Mares ended up getting the stoppage in that fight. So if, if Crawford can beat Porter and perhaps even um, do so more impressively than Spence, you know, that's something that he can hold on to. And, you know, that, that's a good negotiating tactic. Hey, I beat Porter better than you did, and, and your right. fight was, you know, kind of close. So, but until, but the, the problem with top rank is that they have, I believe, they have ten welterweights in their entire stable, and sixty percent of those welterweights have less than ten wins on their resume. And even the second ranked welterweight, Igadijas um, Kavelioskis, aka Mean Machine, because no one could pronounce his darn name, Crawford already beat. Him. So, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I practiced that guy's name for literally like 10 minutes straight, and I was like, I got this. We I don't just, need yeah, just mean. go with Mean Machine. And he beat Mean Machine. You're right. And so there's nothing else to prove there. And, and you really wonder, uh, you know, is it going to take Crawford divorcing, divorcing top rank before he gets a shot even at Sean Porter, like you're talking about? And this, I mean, one thing we have known for the last three or four years, with the exception of there's just too much money to walk away from a Fury Wilder rematch. Uh, PBC's got no use for Bob Arum. They've got no use for the top-ranked fighters, and they've made it clear to him and to all of his fighters, we're not dealing with you. And so that's not going to change. 
I don't believe in 2021. We'll see. Uh, Terrence Crawford's going to have to be free and clear of top rank and willing to do a deal with PBC to fight a PBC fighter. I'll still stand by that. Uh, Marquise, before we let Ryan get out of here, I'll I'll ask you the same question for a quick uh, follow-up. If Spence is successful and looks really good, what do you what do you want to see? What do you want to see for the next fight that that would be coming somewhere around uh, you know March April May? I, honestly, I'll be be I'll be a moron, guys, if I told you I want to see anything outside of Crawford Spence. But the, the issue I think have with it, guys, is that uh, thankfully on Showtime a couple of weeks ago, uh, the IBF title eliminator between Sergey Lipinets and Custio Collaton was a draw. Otherwise, we would have had a mandatory between with the IBF wow. for Spence's belt for, of, of Lipinets slash Clayton versus Spence. That would have been next up. So we get to avoid all of that. So they, essentially, PBC has done this at 147, where they've stacked the deck with these welterweights in-house to face Spence, whoever has the belt at the time, against each other. And at, at this point, it's going to be Porter again for Spence Porter, too, for one reason or another. To their defense, though, Spence Porter was one of the people's fights of the, of the year last year on the bottom of the bottom 10 scale. So I get that appeal of it. It's just not as intriguing to me as uh, – Terrence Crawford, of course, but until Terrence Crawford gets out of that, I don't know what he has even on the WBO side of things because even right. they made it to the point where they've stacked like, hey, Garcia's two and Porter's three, and like I think Me Machine, as you mentioned, Ryan, I think he's like back at five. I think number seven or eight's like uh, uh, Michael McKinson from MTK Global, guys. And if you guys ever seen this guy fight, Michael McKinson is uh, eighteen and zero, two knockouts, guys. <laughs> Both <laughs> those knockouts came because the fighters had injury timeouts and stoppages. Wow. And he fights off his back foot. So needless not, to say, uh, <laughs> not good. Not exactly so. marketable on that. Well, at least uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what the options are for Crawford. That's his own doing. That's his own problem. Can he work it out with top rank or not? Ryan well, O'Hara, before we no. get out of here, uh, did you have one more thought there to follow up? What else? What else you got for us here? Well, I think I – think- someone needs to advise Crawford a little bit better. And um, what I mean by that is it's very clear that Bob Arum doesn't want anything to do with them. Okay. So he's, he's asking Terrence Crawford to self to self promote basically. He's known since 2011 that Crawford is not good at self promoting. He's just not good at it. It's not what he does. So he is a fighter, not all world-class fighters become promoters. You know, not everyone's going to be a Floyd Mayweather or an Oscar De La Hoya Marvin Hagler, one of the best fighters we've ever seen. Does he have the personality of someone who's going to promote fights? Not really. He'd rather be left right, alone. Right. That's the way Crawford. That's like asking Rick Hendrick, who owns Hendrick Motorsports, to drive the 24 uh, car. Rick Hendrick is the manager. He doesn't drive. That's like asking Jeff Gordon, hey, do you want to run the whole shot? Oh, the, I'm not a mathematician. I just, I just drive in circles. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the same process. You have a job. Bob Arum's job is to promote. Is to promote, and honestly, I don't think he he has a a, a pretty large stable, um, especially young prospects. And I think Arum just doesn't have time to really promote Crawford. Well, I think so, I think a big I think a big part of this and the big part of the falling out is that he promised him for over a year he could make the Spence fight happen, and it's obvious he can't make it happen because PBC won't deal with Arum that we're talking about, and so now. They're they're battling each other. Crawford rightfully is saying, hey, you didn't get me the biggest fight that's out there. I understand that. And I was just thinking this while you were saying this. They're fighting in Jerry's world in Jerry's stadium, the Cowboys stadium. 
Jer- Jerry wants to be the GM, if not the head coach. The NFL doesn't let the owner be the head coach, but Jerry <laughs> would try it with the Cowboys if they would allow him. Uh, when you're talking about know your role and know what you are and know what you aren't. Uh, so uh, we'll see. Ryan, we got a roll here in a moment. Tell us more about what you're working on. I, I know you've, you've written some stuff about Clarissa Shields uh, recently and some other stuff that you're working on. What else you got cooking right now in addition to writing about Spence and Garcia and that kind of stuff with Ring TV? Well, right now, obviously, we got that uh, video game deal that uh, I signed with SteelSea Interactive. So I mm-hmm. don't really have a ton of details on that. I just know that it's possible that I'll have a voice role uh, perhaps the social media, you kind of like, if, if you have seen the, the NBA 2K series, that's probably what the role will be. And eventually that will, um, build into, from what I'm hearing, some sort of like post fight interview sort of thing, but we, we haven't really ironed that out yet. And also, um, I was talking to a friend of mine in the movie industry about working in movies, but I, I'm not signed on to any <laughs> project yet, but, um, I do have, I do have something in mind. I, uh, I do have something in mind. Uh, it's connected to a series that started in the 1970s. I'll just l- let you guys. Uh, wow! So we're gonna have to nickname that. you I, like Hollywood from here on out. That's a great tease. We got to watch out for Ryan o- uh, Hollywood O'Hara here at this point, uh, giving us a tease on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. I love it. DJ, I got it. Yeah, I live there. Just so you know. DJ, I got it. So, so Ryan here is re- rebooting a '70s series. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, and I say I'm a sources guy, Ryan. But so, uh, congratulations on you rebooting Shaft. I'm looking forward to seeing you in 2021 for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, either that or Starsky and Hutch, maybe one of those. Yeah. Uh, maybe one of those from back in the '70s too. Again, I'm dating myself, and I'm going back before you, your time and Ryan's time on that. Hey, Ryan, uh, thank you. We appreciate it. Follow him at O'Hara Sports for the insight with the boxing. We appreciate the insight here on Spence Garcia coming up Saturday night on pay-per-view on the Fox pay-per-view. We appreciate you hanging with us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, sir. All right. Thank you very much, guys. And yeah, follow O'Hara Sports for the latest in humor and boxing. And it's always good to have Ryan O'Hara with us uh, week sauce as we get ready now for these fight cards. We were just talking about it Obviously, with Ryan, we take a look at the odds because our friends at SportsGamblingPodcast.com and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows are all about the odds. Uh, Interesting that you've noticed here, Errol Spence now minus 500 in the online odds from MyBookie.ag, and that that has ticked up a bit here late in the week and and may be going up even more, indicating that Spence has got some money coming in on him. Absolutely, TJ. Apparently, uh, leading into this fight, uh, Garcia was a slight underdog at about 260, 280 last check. Now it's jumped up to about 350 uh, in terms of climbing. And so pretty much it, the money's coming in on Spence one way or another, and they expect Spence to retain his uh, WBC and of title belts on this one. And the under-over, again on mybookie.ag, listed at 10.5 rounds. So the conventional thought, not obviously an early-round knockout and most likely to go the distance – uh, you know, when last we saw Spence, as we were talking about, he did go the distance, but he does have, and, and in fact, his last two fights, Mikey Garcia, not to be confused with Danny Garcia again, took him 12 rounds a year and a half ago in March. So his last two fights have been decisions. You buying that? Because it's, uh, it's the, the over is minus 305 for the fight to go beyond the 10th round, essentially, to, to see the bell on the 11th round. Are you, are you buying the over there? I'm buying the over, and I'm playing the money on the over, TJ. The, 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 most, both these guys have been known to have fights that go straight the distance. Even when Spence faced Garcia 
it was 12 rounds of film from pretty much one-way traffic. The same thing with Danny Garcia as well. In his last fight, which was a tuna fight against Ivan Redcash, that fight, which everyone thought would, would have been stopped, didn't get stopped, and it went all 12 rounds as well. So playing the over on that is a pretty safe bet, actually. All right. And so, as I always customarily do, tell me about the undercard, which I know you've joked before uh, we got on here officially that you do need a scorecard to keep up with the undercard right now because there are switches and swaps going every which direction. What's going on here beneath the Spence Garcia pay-per-view main event? Pretty much, DJ, uh, COVID has ravaged this card and ravaged this card hard. Uh, one fight, for example, Sebastian Fendor was supposed to have a big step-up fight against uh, former challenger uh, Jorge Coda, who was last seen on, on most fights tonight getting knocked up by, by one of the Charlos on the second round, actually. <laughs> that was the last last he was seen. But right. he was supposed to be, be a big step-up for Fendor. He's out because of COVID, so they brought in from Ghana, Habib Ahmed. Your guess is as good as mine as uh, his uh, fight tape. But he's in on short notice, so that fight is on the undercard. Jacito Lopez is taking on Francisco Santana back at welterweight for Santana, who was last seen, TJ, taking on Jared Hurd at 154. And if you, if you were to t- challenge any of the guys at 154, you're going to pick the biggest guy in Jared Hurd. And that's why he's going back down. So for the most part, TJ, this undercard is a who's who of uh, who can get in the ring and get, get, get some work. Lopez, get some now, now, Lopez has been around as a veteran contender. He fought Keith Thurman in Thurman's return fight practically two years ago, like January of 2019. Mm-hmm. And Santana, again, a late replacement. I, I can tell from the tone of your voice, the undercard not doing a whole lot for you on the Fox pay-per-view. No, TJ, I'm going to be honest with you. This is one of those fight cards where we're charging for pay-per-view. This is a solid one-fight fight card. And that one fight, you may have guessed me, Earl Spence versus Danny Garcia. Everyone else is just kind of here to hang around. We'll see if that can deliver. By the way, on Friday, as as we've uh, already made mention, the DAZN show, Billy Joe Saunders, Martin Murray, Saunders in action first time in 2020. Uh, well documented that he, he couldn't pull off the fight with Canelo Alvarez, got himself in trouble. He's still undefeated on, on a level uh, on the on the scale here of of uh, 10 uh, being your super excited one. You, you would do anything but have your fingernails pulled out to not have to watch this. Where are you on the midday Friday DAZN show? Billy Joe Saunders, Martin Murray, super WBO, super middleweight title fight. What about that one? I'm kind of on the fence, TJ, of waiting in line to be picked for jury duty and being on hold with customer service to pay a bill that I had to wait for. But in terms of Billy Joe Saunders' fights, my problem with that fight is that it's a stay busy fight for Saunders to keep him moving uh, and at 168 to see if he's going to be once again added to the Canelo sweepstakes or he actually faces up Andrade if Andrade moves up. Is this keep to keep Saunders moving? Is this, as we all know, Billy Joe Saunders' fights aren't exactly propelled for action and his fight against Martin Murray, who a former title challenger, isn't one of them. The one fight on this card that I'm actually intrigued in actually is Zach Parker versus uh, Cesar Nunez. Uh, Parker, uh, TJ, uh, at super middle is one of the uh, slow, slowly coming to be one of the mandatories at 168 in that, in that ranking list. So he's one of those guys that may actually face Billy Joe Saunders down the line, either mandatory or not down the line and he's in a stay busy fight against Cesar Nunez to keep an eye on all right so again Saunders uh off of a year plus layoff here will be in action 
uh, in this one on the DAZN show primetime in London Friday night at the time that we're taping here Friday afternoon in the U.S. time. You may already know that result of what happened. Was it any good? Was it a snooze fest? Marquise will certainly be locked in on it and writing something about it if it is worthwhile when it is done. I think we've about covered everything. I, I will tell you this. I am I am anxious. I've, I've already seen the documentary, uh, Macho, the Hector Camacho story that we've been talking about uh, with Eric Drath earlier in this podcast. I'm anxious to watch it again as it comes out on Showtime again Friday night and this weekend. Uh, I cannot recommend it enough. He, he was such a, a flamboyant, charismatic fighter. And then the dual track of what really happened here with his murder, and I'm not trying to reveal too much, but you need to stick all the way through the end, as Eric was talking about, that this becomes a different film, a different documentary in the last 25 minutes, because it's about what happened with Camacho's murder now eight years ago that remains to this moment unsolved by the Puerto Rican authorities. So I'm anxious to watch that again, even if Billy Joe Saunders is a snooze fest. And my prediction is I believe that the Spence Garcia will have a lot of entertainment value. I think Danny Garcia realizes this is, for right now, his livelihood on the biggest stage is on the line because if he's bad, if he's outclassed, I think he can forget about another big-time fight because that'll be a third loss at welterweight to a big-time opponent. So I think he's coming to gun for Spence, and I'm looking forward to that one Saturday night, Marquise. Absolutely. The main event for Spence Garcia is going to be a good one because Garcia knows what's on the line for him. He's going in this standard dog. That's the only way he'd like it. His, him and his dad, Angel Garcia, who has been an absolute riot leading up to the buildup for this fight, pretty much saying the exact same thing, wanting to know, like, hey, we know we're, in a, we're, we're, we're the underdog. We know what's at stake. Want, want to take advantage of this. Going to beat Earl Spence flat out. They have the tricks. They've been training for tr- – they mentioned in the final press conference as well. They, they mentioned they've trained for it. They're ready for him. They wanted this done back in January. They couldn't do it in January. Now they're doing it this Saturday. I'm looking forward to that fight, TJ. And also keep in mind as well, also in other regional action on Saturday, London Offer is taking on Anthony Yarde, former title challenger at light heavyweight, over on the Queensberry card, which you can see uh, by random means on the internet or fight TV, actually. And that should be interesting because Yarde uh, and Offer is going to be a, a solid matchup to keep an eye on who's moving up the ranks at 175. Everyone knows Yardy for uh, challenging Kovalev and losing, and he's just trying to make his way back up to it, and uh, Arthur's trying to stay undefeated as well. And again, that one in London, there's going to be a lot in London with the following week, Joshua Pulev, which again will have a 1,000 or so fans in attendance. We wrote about that on BigFightWeekend.com for that Saturday night showdown at the uh, Wembley Arena uh, next Saturday night, the 12th, so... Plenty of action abroad, plenty here as well in the U.S. Uh, again, at AT&T Stadium, they're expecting at least 10,000 socially distanced, if not more, inside of Jerry's World where the Cowboys play in, uh, in Errol Spence's backyard for this matchup with Danny Garcia. That will do it uh, here for this edition of the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Marquise, as always, thank you for hanging out uh, here with me, and we look forward to everything going on with the site Uh, With the historical perspective of boxing, the previews, the recaps, the news, all of it. I know you're going to be all over it, sir, all all throughout this weekend. Absolutely, TJ. BigFightWeekend.com, your source for all boxing news and results, uh, past, present, and future. We'll be keeping up with the fights going on this weekend out in London. Also one down here at Jerry World, seeing how that's going to sound. 
It's going to be really interesting, TJ, to hear the 10,000 social distance fans at Cowboys Stadium when the acoustics there for this fight, because as you well know, and you've been there, how loud that place can get no matter how many people are there. And I'm, so I'm looking forward to that. And this is actually but, going to be a good but this year, they're used to booing the Cowboys. There will be no booing <laughs> of the Cowboys Saturday night, hopefully no booing of the fight. But yeah. booing of the Cowboys is off limits, at least for this event, uh, we would think. Marquise, great stuff. My thanks also to Eric Drath with us from uh, Showtime and the Hector Camacho documentary that, again, depending on when you're hearing us, it's out Friday night. It'll replay as well this weekend on the Showtime family of networks. It's also available on Showtime On Demand uh, to check out the documentary. Well worth the time to stick with it. Uh, And again, Eric with us. Also, Ryan O'Hara here from Ring TV with Marquise and me, breaking down Spence Garcia and much more. Uh, for Week Sauce Radio, I'm merely TJ Reeves. Enjoy the fights. Thank you for being with us uh, here as part of the Sports Gambling Podcast network of shows at sportsgamblingpodcast.com. We are Big Fight Weekend and the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Bye.